What is up, everyone? Welcome back to Citywide Blackout, your home for music, movies, and more. I am your host, Max Bowen. Now, it was just seven months ago that author David Rolfing joined me to talk about his debut novel, Deliberate Duplicity. Well, he's back with the next novel in the Sasha Frank series, Cold Consequences, but this one is set five years in the past. We see Sasha Frank in pursuit of a murderer after a drug deal gone wrong, and for the rest, well, you're going to have to get the book to find that one out. David and I talk all about the next book in the series, how Sasha has grown as a character, and how he's become more comfortable as a writer. And my next guest, well, you might remember the name because just seven months ago we had him on to talk about his debut book. Just like that, he's back with another book. Cold Consequences author David Rolfing joins me. David, welcome back. Thank you very much, Max. appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Now, seven months between your first release and now, like this book just dropped about a week or so ago at the time of this recording. That's a... That's a pretty impressive, you know, completion time. Well, I, I'd have to say that COVID had a little bit to do with the uh, date of deliberate duplicity dropping uh, because it was originally scheduled to come out in September of uh, 2020. And because of COVID, it got delayed because of uh all the individuals that are involved in publishing a book, the editors and the copy people, all of those people, everything just got shifted because no one was coming into the office. So it was a new environment for them. So everything got moved. I was already working on cold consequences uh, during that time period. So that's why that came out so quickly. Wow. So the, the time, wow. the time span, you could add another five or six months probably to that. It's just timing because of COVID. Everything's COVID. Pretty much these days, yeah, de- definitely. Now, did you have yourself like a, a set date when you wanted this book to release? Uh, I wanted it to release around September-ish time frame. It, uh, as it turned out, we we did it oct- you know August first and set effectively. So uh, the timing was right in line. Uh, from a, the publisher's world, they want books to come out at certain times of the year. Uh, either at the beginning of the summer or at the end of the summer. So this it's a, it's a prequel. The book is a prequel. So it didn't matter how it came compared to deliberate duplicity. Um, so the timing was good. All right. Now, this book is is uh, the second in, um, in your Detective Sasha Frank series. He's back and back in time because, as you said, this is a prequel. It takes place five years before the first book. Um, Correct. Two-part question for you. Did you always intend to do more books? And why go back? Um, yes. Uh, I, I have intended to do multiple books. I'm actually working on the third book in the series now. Uh, the first book references things that took place in the prequel. So I actually, as I was writing Deliberate Duplicity, I knew that I wanted to do a prequel when I wrote the second book. You can read them out of order. Uh, it doesn't matter um, which one you might read first. So there are references of things that took place. Uh, well, Ashley Cummins' murder was referenced in Deliberate Duplicity. So um, no, there, I, I knew that I wanted to write the books. The second one I knew I wanted to do as a prequel. 
and we go from there. I'm not sure how many books I'm going to write in the series, but I'm going to keep writing as long as people read them. That's really cool that um, that you were like laying the seeds for the for this prequel in the first book. Looking at Frank, uh, looking at Detective Sasha Frank five years prior, how is he different from the one in your first book, Deliberate Duplicity? I think that in the first book, uh, there was a lot more detail. I, I, I set the stage for a number of characters in the first book um, that appear now in the prequel. Uh, so people will know who they are because they're referenced in the first book. And going forward, uh, you'll see reoccurring characters, a certain number of reoccurring characters from book to book to book. I mean, it's a small town, small city police department. So there's going to be reoccurring characters. So I spent more time in the first book developing characters uh, and developing backgrounds and information about Sasha, his wife, uh, various detectives, uh, policemen or policewomen on the force, um, the ME, different people. So we'll see that those people come into play in both the prequel and in the subsequent books. Wow, this is like complicated to follow. It is because actually the M.E. who is in the first book appears very briefly, her name only, because she was actually having a child in the prequel. So I referenced the fact that she had a child in the first book, but in the second book, she actually has the child and she's off on maternity leave and there's a different M.E., so this particular M.A. M.E. may be a one-time M.E. I'm not sure if I'll use that in M.E. in additional books. But, yeah, so you, there's a lot of character development and people moving around. So, yeah, you do have to be fairly detailed in how you portray what's going on uh, when you consider it's going to be a series. Mm-hmm. Now, did you find you had to go back to your first book to kind of like remind yourself, okay, this person, that person, like sort of like re-familiarize yourself with the characters and the plots? Well, I had to determine which character I wanted to use from the first book and the second book. You know, there were a couple of two or three characters that were absolutely going to be in the prequel and would be in subsequent books, but I could pick and choose them from a variety of characters that were developed in the first book in writing the prequel, the second book, if that makes sense. It does. It does. Yeah. <laughs> so I've, I had, I had a variety of, uh, for instance, in the first book, there might've been, well, I, I would say one thing, there may have been too many characters in the first book to follow, but I, I actually did that on purpose just because I introduced a number of characters that then would be introduced in other books or would appear in other books. So in the, second book there's fewer characters to follow because they were introduced in the first book okay so i didn't spend as much time developing some of those characters the reoccurring characters uh in the second book because they were already developed in the first book gotcha okay okay so it sounds like you had um a good chunk of the work like already done um but in terms of like going from your first book to your second book, of course, your first one was your debut novel, your first time writing. Um, was the uh, did uh, did you find the process was a lot easier than last time? Uh, yes, um, I would say that the one thing I learned, uh, without a doubt, and with the editors that I work with, the one thing that you learn is less is often more, um, and 
So this particular book tell is, is much faster paced than the first book. Um, it, there's probably somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe 15,000 fewer words in the second book to tell the story. Um, but yeah, I, I think I learned that I can say more actually with less words mm. and tell a compelling story, a murder mystery, uh, with a similar number of murders potentially uh, that occurred in the first book. But I can still tell a story and tell it quickly so that the reader is engaged completely and not, you know, maybe speed reading because they think this is too much information that I want. So yeah. that's one thing I definitely learned. And and I think um, especially because uh, too much information was a big problem last time. Like like your first book, the original, the, you had told me before that the original draft was about two hundred thousand words, which is a lot for a book. Yeah, I mean like it was. I mean like that's getting into like like war and peace level, like in terms of like thickness there. Um, yep. So was that was that an easier pitfall to kind of avoid the second time around? It was I, again. I think what was important for me was. You know, you, you, you write, I write a draft and then I, I mix things around because I don't do an outline when I do the book. I have a general idea of what I want to do and what I'm going to be writing about in the murder. And then as I write, I, be, I develop the story line effectively. So as I do that, <clears throat> I, I move things in, I move things out, and I then go through a first edit that I do myself, take a look at it, set it down, and then come back to it again. So going through that process, again, it's one of those less is more where what is the fewest number of words that I can tell a story that is interesting and compelling to the readers? Because that way it's, it's fast paced. It's something you don't want to put down. And I think, I think I certainly achieved that, I believe, in cold consequences. And so far, the reviews have been all excellent so i'm very very pleased good 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 how about feedback from like either um advanced readers or editors did you have a lot of people saying oh change this change that fix this thing um certainly well when you go through the editing process with the publisher they you know look at different ways to tell the same story i would say that uh, with the first book as you said it i cut out you know, half the book effectively going through the editorial process because it was just too much information that did not take place this time uh, at all with cold consequences. So the editing process, it takes a certain period of time uh, just to go through the different editors that touched the book. But at the end of the day, uh, there was not that many changes uh, to the story or to the book itself um, as opposed to the first book. Because, again, I think I had learned what I needed to leave in and what I should already take out to tell the story. So there's a lot less dialogue in this book and a lot more action. Okay. Let's talk about the action then. So in this story, it traces the murder of Ashley Cummins, the granddaughter of a, of, um, a powerful judge who is unexpectedly shot when, when a drug deal gets, gets interrupted one night. Uh, Frank works to track down the murderer. All of his leads just, you know, go dead, 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 dead. And he finally hits like the weak link to finally unravel the case. How did you go about crafting the story so that you didn't like accidentally repeat what happened last time? Um, well, I think opioids are, a, you know, a problem in the United States. Uh, the number of people who die, it's an amazing number uh, every year. So I thought it was topical. 
so I, I thought that would be interesting and having um, somebody who was well-to-do who suffered an injury in a college uh, soccer game um, that developed pain and needed to have it addressed. And she wasn't getting the needs that she uh, to take care of the pain through her doctors. And she thought, and she had money, she could go to the streets to buy the drugs she needed. It's just that this one particular night, she always bought her drugs in a club setting. It's just this one night, this particular drug dealer couldn't meet her. And she had to meet him more on his turf versus her normal turf. And things went awry. Uh, by no fault of her own. I mean, she was addicted to opioids and you make bad choices. I mean, you make bad choices in your life without drugs, but on drugs, you can imagine the choices you make. So she was in an unfamiliar area where she probably shouldn't have been uh, in the middle of the night and someone else saw her with this drug dealer and the story then unfolds from that. Okay. Now, I recall last time, one of the bigger challenges for you was to get in the mind of your villains. Now, you've never done this concept before, thankfully. So, so, so this was very, like, new territory for you. So, so getting into the world of, like, drugs and opioids, how did you do that? How did you sort of become an expert so you could write a convincing storyline? I would say that's one thing that family and friends still haven't figured out, um, where the darkness comes from. Uh, you know, it's, it, I don't have a background in this. My background is in business. So writing about, you know, people in the drug world, uh, people who deal with drugs and selling drugs and the, the violence that takes place place in that word world on a daily basis. I lived in downtown Chicago for 20 years. So Chicago is a pretty violent place. So you see news stories and read about violence that takes place there. Uh, it's one thing to read about it, but then when you then write about it um, and then it, you're right. I don't know. It's, it's difficult to become one of those people when that's not what you've ever been. But at the end of the day, I hate to say it, it comes easy, but it, I feel comfortable writing about it. Um, hopefully that's not a bad thing, but at the end of the day, you know, it, it's, it's difficult, but enjoyable. And hopefully that I come across with the characters that I develop, that people see them as realistic. I mean, they're, they're brutal people. Um, the people in this book and, it's yeah, it's it's strange that you you step into their shoes when you don't have those experiences. It's hard to explain. I no, no, I think I get you. I think I get you. Although it is kind of it is kind of alarming because I feel like we're giving you like a new like villain persona with like each book. Like first one, serial killer. This one, <laughs> drug dealer. Next time it's like no, we, we gotta stop because these guys can become of a new uh, like like a a Doctor Doom or something like that. <laughs> well, what one thing I think is interesting is that. Several of the characters, uh, one of the reviewers actually said to me that she found it difficult to find that she was actually felt empathy for some of the drug dealers um, because they're, they're bad people, but they, are, they have parts of their lives that are, are tender and sweet. Uh, they have children, they have you know family. Uh, so they're on one side, they may 
be brutal, but on the other side, they're like anyone else. So I think that's kind of how I approached them is that uh, I didn't, I didn't mean necessarily for them to be, you know, people to have empathy for them because they're bad people. But at the end of the day, the way that I structured it and the character, uh, you became, you felt sorry for them. These aren't like comic book villains here. These are people in some cases with kids, with, you know, families, and they're just put into a difficult situation and doing what they can to, to, uh, to get by. So I kind of like that you sort of right. touched on that too. Well, it's like Ashley Cummins, you know, she's the victim and, you know, she sustained an injury, wasn't able to get, you know, she couldn't get rid of the pain and doctors couldn't get rid of the pain for her. So she found, you know, her way of getting rid of the pain was by buying opioids. She had the money to buy them. Um, she, you know, as you read the book, you'll see that she may have uh, been having struggles at work because of it, but she worked for her father. So it's a different situation. So she might be able to get away with things that other people who might be addicted to an opioid or drugs wouldn't get away with, Mm -hmm. Um, which again, you feel sorry for her. She obviously is killed. Uh, She's killed very quickly in the beginning of the book. And what's also strange about this book is you actually know who killed her very early in the book. Wow. nice. But, but, you know, Sasha doesn't know who, who killed her and he goes about attempting to find that person. Mm-hmm. And that's when things start to unravel. Okay. I want to touch again on the character of Sasha Frank. So this is not some big city cop. This is not some like, you know, hard nosed 20 years on the force Chicago detective who's seen it all, been there, done that. He's like a small town cop, basically. Um, yes. Talk a bit about how this character stands apart from most thriller detective characters. Well, I think the simple fact, as you say, he. He grew up in Springfield, Illinois, which is a, a small city in Illinois, uh, cap, the capital of the state, but still a very small city. He went to uh, ISU, Illinois State University in Bloomington, and he got a law degree, or excuse me, a law enforcement degree. And then he went to work for the police department in Bloomington. And during the time that he was on the force, has been on the force, he did all sorts of different things. He was a police officer. He was a canine officer. He was an undercover officer. Uh, he, he's done a variety of different things, but remembering that we're in Bloomington, Illinois, and the number of people who are killed in one of my books is five times the number of people that die in Bloomington in a year. So he's not. it's not like being in L.A., uh, a Harry Bosch, or being a detective in Chicago with all the crime that's going on there today. So he's more... It's a Midwest type of character who's it's more relaxed. We don't see that kind of violence here. The things that happen in the book realistically don't happen here. Um, those are things that happen typically in a big city. So in developing the character, he's, he's more relaxed, but he has to deal with whatever comes at him uh, to investigate whatever crimes are brought to him. But I would say the average detective in Bloomington, Illinois, might see a murder a year, maybe a couple. Um, and this is a totally different. Okay. I think we touched on this last time, but in case I did want to talk about it, why go this route? Why not go with the more traditional New York cop or LA cop? Because again, I think there isn't a small uh, city Midwest 
police detectives out there. There's there, nobody's writing about that. It may not be as exciting because you know life here may not be as exciting as it is in Boston or in New York or L.A. Um, I like living where I live very much, and maybe it's because it's not that exciting in some regards. I mean, I can go to Chicago. It's a couple hours from here. Um, I can get to somewhere very quickly and enjoy what larger cities bring. But I think the Midwest lifestyle is more relaxed. Um, it's it's more it's safer for in a word. Um, so you don't have to be concerned about violence. You don't have to be concerned that much about crime. So I think writing about a smaller city, um, again, to my knowledge, there's not a book or a series out like this one. Uh, so it, it's just a different way to approach a detective and how he goes to work versus a Harry Bosch or, or a real life detective in a large city. Did the entire process seem a lot more familiar to you now that you've kind of done it once, you know, whether it was going through edits or going through or, or um, working with a publisher? Um, is it easier? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, yeah, it was a lot easier. Uh, plus, I would say this time around, uh, the first time around, I would I took a lot of input from the editor uh, or editors, and this time around, I pushed back probably some. No, you know, you know, I actually want this in there. I it's it's important for me to tell the story because it actually connects back. You know, forty two pages later, and I think uh, one of the editors I know hadn't read the first book, which makes it difficult because then. You know, they were trying to make changes that, no, you, no, no, that's not how, actually in the first book, I made reference to this. So this has to stay. So I think I pushed back a little more uh, through the process. So, and but I'm more comfortable with it. I think I, I made fewer mistakes in the second book versus the first book. So there was actually less for them to do. I want to talk about pushing back. Because I think for early writers that can be hard to do because you think, oh, the editor has, you know, 10 years, 20 years experience. They know what's best. I'll just do whatever they say. But when it came to, like, pushing back, what were the points where you were like, nope, foot down, this stays? Um, I think it was storyline issues so or a character development issue. Um, again, I, I think the main changes that editors made – this time around with this book were more of placement of something move, you know, these paragraphs over to this chapter because it might fit better there with the storyline and those type of changes I was comfortable with. Um, and I, if, if I was comfortable with them, I, I would agree to them, but I think the more difficult ones were relating to something that it, you know, was going to happen in the second book or excuse me, something that did happen in the first book that I mentioned in this prequel, again, just as an attempt to tie them together. So if you didn't know anything about the first book per se, it would have been difficult as an editor to tie the two together. Okay. Now, um, for this one, you worked with River Grove Books, and why stay with them? Uh, why not find someone new if... I'm comfortable, very comfortable with the people there. I like uh, the people who do the cover work. Um, I like the, the editors that I'm working with there. Um, so I, I think it's a comfort level 
with the people that you work with. It's just like anything else that you do. Uh, you're more likely to stay somewhere working if you like the people that you're working with versus if there's a conflict. So um, I'm just very comfortable with them. And I like, I like the company. I like the people. So I don't see any reason. It's like my publicist. Uh, I like the people. I like the publicist. I like what they do for me. So I'm just going to stay. I think it's good that you that uh, you were able to find that kind of comfort zone there because some folks will bounce around from publicist to publisher again and again before they find something that works. So it's good on you that you found something that you know works right off the bat. Well, I had a friend who, you know, they were the ones who recommended uh, River Grove, and uh, I know a couple of authors that have been associated with them, and they came highly recommended, and I was able. I think we may have mentioned the last time I was able to get in probably much easier than a typical author. Just to, it's kind of like business. It's who you know sometimes. So I just happened to know a couple of authors that helped me get the introduction. Uh, now, if the book was bad, they would have you know pushed off and said, you know, no way. Uh, so it wasn't like somehow or another I got a pass. It's just that I got an introduction which allowed me to put the book in front of them. They liked it. I liked them. So I don't see a reason to change. There you go. There you go. Let's talk about releasing the book. Now, when we talked last time, it was early January, of course, the pandemic, the um, pandemic at the time we were seeing vaccines coming out or just beginning to come out, but still things in full swing events, not happening, but now they are, we're seeing, uh, Comic cons and book expos and festivals all coming back. Authors getting back out there to meet with the fans. How are you feeling about that? Are you ready to get out there and kind of you know hit the old book tour trail? Yes, uh, but as you say that, I mean I'm I'm not sure how many of the, there's still virtual events that are taking place. So you know I, I think they're going to come out, but as some come out, they might now be actually reversing their original decision because of the Delta variant and the issues that are coming out. So it's, it's, we're still in that quasi state. Um, so I, I feel I would feel comfortable personally going, but I'm comfortable not going as well. I think virtual it's kind of like doing zoom calls, uh, you know, doing, you know, Microsoft meeting team meeting calls, those things that's everybody does them now. So everybody can work from home if they want to. And obviously it cuts down on travel and expenses for everybody that goes to these. But um, I, I wouldn't hesitate to go to an event because of the circumstances we live in today. I'd feel comfortable. Okay. What are some of the big uh, expos or festivals in your area? I'm not going to be able to answer that one, actually. So <laughs> <laughs> there, there aren't any. Uh, directly in our area, oh, wow. but but again, everything's been postponed. Sure, yeah, yeah. You know, so we're in this real weird time right now. Yeah, and my publicist has me on lists, but right now we're just you know on hold because we don't know whether they're really going to take place or not. So, are you planning more uh, virtual events for this release? Uh, I've done a, a couple of these type of interviews already. I have several more planned. Um, so yes, the short answer would be, I'm, I'm going to participate in whatever virtual events that I can. How did it go last time? Um, well, it hit a COVID hit us very shortly after it came out. 
So every, the whole world stopped as it relates to those type of events or any kind of event, you know, concerts, everything stopped. Uh, so I just went through doing these type of interview shows or podcasts, uh, did a variety of other interviews, uh, print interviews, and the publicists did their work um, publicizing the book through a variety of mediums. Uh, you know, you work through Amazon as well to publicize the book, which the number of books that go through Amazon today is amazing. Uh, I read the other day, 80% of books are going to go through Amazon within the next five years. So, you know, that's how you market books now. You know, that's the path to the future. Mm -hmm. And speaking of, of uh, the future, what lies in store for you? I mean, I, I imagine you're probably already working on the next third and probably fourth book. Uh, the third book, I'm probably maybe 20% into the third book. Um, I normal I prefer to write in the winter. Uh, that's why it's, you know, I like to golf. <clears throat> I like outdoor activities this time of year. And uh, that being said, I, I'm about 20% into the book. I'm sure when fall comes, because it, it took me about three to four months to write the first book and about the same time period for the second book to put it into the hands of the publisher. Um, I've worked on this book off and on for probably two months, but more off than on. And sometime in the next couple of months, I'll, I'll gear myself up. But I, I have the storyline down. I, I've actually written the first of the book, and then I've probably written almost the last chapter because I know where it's going to go. I just need to fill it in. Do you think you're becoming a lot more comfortable with Sasha Frank as a character now that you have, you know, two books and a piece of a third with him? Absolutely. I, I like Sasha a lot. Um, I like him as an individual. You know, I'm sure he has flaws, although I'm not you know, sure what those flaws are. Uh, I haven't developed any, you know, really bad things about Sasha that might exist in his character someday. Uh, but no, I'm very comfortable with Sasha. I'm comfortable with several of the characters that I've introduced through the two books. And uh, no, I'm, very comfortable with Sasha. He's How? kind of an alter ego. <laughs> I thought it was the uh, the serial killer. Uh, no, no, <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm the serial killer. <clears throat> but I like Sasha, and and Sasha. I just feel like you know we're similar people, type of people. The detective. I get you. I get you. Um... I mean, you investigate things. I'm interested in learning more about something. Uh, you're trying to find justice for somebody. You you want good things to happen to people, not bad. And when they do go bad, you want to find ways to make it good for that person or their family. Okay. How would you say Sasha has grown as a character? I mean, I know that this, of course, you know, the second book is set in the past. But how would you say that he is developed as like your main lead? Well, I think what's interesting about the second book is it's a prequel. So Sasha has been on the force by that point in time, Sasha had been on the force for 20, 25 years. And he had been a detective for maybe five of those years. Uh, prior to that, he was a police officer, a canine officer, as I said, an undercover officer doing other jobs for the police department. So he doesn't know as much in the prequel 
as he knows in the first book, because that was, you know, five years later. So I think Sasha had, I, I think you'll see in this book, Sasha struggles a little bit with the investigation because he may not know all the tricks of the trade. He hasn't been doing that long. He hasn't been exposed to that many murder investigations. And as you read the book, you'll see that murders, people start dying and he doesn't understand what's going on and he doesn't have the answers, uh, which is by the way, that's part of life. You know, you don't always have the answers, but you have to figure it out. And that's what he does. And a lot of times it's with luck, you know, that something falls in your hands that you then are able to solve a problem. And I think for Sasha, he's, he's a younger detective. He's not as experienced, um, but that's five years previous because it's the prequel. But I think you'll see that in the third book, you know, there's more development of him because he's been through several big investigations of murders and he might be a little quicker to figure things out. But I also might make the crimes more complicated that make it more difficult for him to solve. Mm -hmm. We've talked before about feedback on these books. Have you happened to hear back from any folks who work in law enforcement to kind of get their commentary on the the like the realism of the character? Uh, no, I have not. I have not had anyone. Uh, I have had reviewers tell me that it's very you know police procedural, uh, very detailed. Uh, but no, I have not spoken with a you know anybody in law enforcement regarding the book actually. That'll happen eventually, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure it will. Yeah. How are you when it, when it uh, comes to getting reviews? Like when you get emails or letters saying, okay, this is a review of your book. Do you sort of say, okay, brace yourself. Here we go. Um, on the first book, I did that. There's no question about it. And, you know, there's people who reviewed the book um, that didn't like the use of Sasha, Sasha's name. They felt that I misused the name. It wouldn't have been Sasha, it would have been something slightly different, which had nothing to do with the storyline. Um, and Sasha is a Russian name. Um, you know, it, it, it's almost like a nickname sometimes that is used. But I'd get reviews and I'm, I'd read it and I thought, wow, that's not the way I read the book. So you, you want people to like the book, obviously. But I think it's got a 4.2 star rating, I think, on Amazon. So I'm very happy with that. And the publisher is very happy with it as well. Um, but yes, you, you brace yourself and sometimes you just shake your head and wonder, you know, somebody just didn't like the book and people like fast paced books. And again, the first book was more slow paced because it was developing all these new characters. It would then be in subsequent books. This one's much more fast paced. And I would say that so far, all of the reviews have been five-star reviews, which is great. You know, I love that. Uh, so it's much easier to get a review when it comes back as a five-star versus a, a three-star or something like that. But, but again, I, I, I don't, I have very thick skin, um, you know, so what somebody thinks about the book is important, but really not that it's, it's not going to change my life one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for a lot of like first timers, there's that trepidation. You like you like you want them all to be five stars, and then you will eventually because that's just kind of how it works. You will get the one star review, 
or you'll get the zero yes. stars, or you'll get the person saying, you know, very amateurish or what have you. And there's always right. that. And I think that that is a real test of your thick skin if you can actually take those hits because they're going to happen. It, oh, no question about it. And that's where when you read the, and I do read Goodreads or NetGalley. Um, I do read Amazon. I, I read the reviews because I'm interested uh, in what people think, um, both whether they're just someone who bought the book or whether they're a, you know, a book reviewer who does that effectively for a living. Uh, I value them both as high as one versus the other. One might have more influence in the marketplace if they give a book a good rating versus a bad, um, obviously. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, your feelings can be hurt by something that's said, but like it, don't like it, you know, it, that's, everybody has an opinion and uh, I'm comfortable with that. Um, I, and I, I, again, I think I understand some of the people who didn't like the book, why they didn't like it. Um, and I think I've actually in the second book changed some of my writing to kind of reflect, okay, well, you know, that's a fair criticism. Um, of how you saw and read Deliberate Duplicity. Um, let me let me take that and let me fix some of the things that I see people didn't like. But what's interesting, Max, is that some people like a lot of detail. They like to read that information. They want to see that level of depth that occurs in Deliberate Duplicity, but there's those who don't as well. So it's it, it's difficult to satisfy everybody's wants. Oh, it's impossible, completely yeah. impossible. You will you will never be able to write a book that everyone's gonna like. I think no. any writer would probably tell you the exact same thing. Like you mentioned earlier about Sasha being Russian, does that ever come up in the book? Does his heritage ever play a, play a role in this? It only came uh, in in the first book, explaining who his parents were um, and his lineage there. Uh, in the second book, there there might be a reference to uh, uh, a Russian folk saying that his mother use, uses when he grew up, and he speaks Russian. Um, so he might say something under his breath in Russian that, you know, he might not say in speaking English. So it does come up in that, that way, but his father was an FBI agent, um, and Obviously, that's where he got his desire to go into law enforcement. Uh, but, you know, there's hints at it, but I don't, it's not, it's not a big thing in the book. It just describes his, his first name. Gotcha. Gotcha. So where we are at now in your writing career, two books down, a third one in the works, are you feeling more familiar or more comfortable in the role of writer? Yes. But very much so. I enjoy it. Um, I enjoy writing very much. Um, so yes, I'm very comfortable in it. I've I've written blogs for a number of years. Uh, I don't do that much anymore. But uh, no, I'm, I'm very comfortable in writing. I enjoy it very very much. Uh, I like telling a tale. Um, I like building a story. And again, I, as I said earlier, I don't outline the book before I start. I have a, a general premise and I build the characters in and the information in as I, as I write the book. Uh, and like I said, I've, I've written the first part of the book and I've written almost the ending already. But there's a, 
you know, 80% of the book is still yet to be written. Um, and I, I think I'll, I'll get there. Um, it'll, it just takes time and focus. And I'm not focused on it right now. Oh, no? Well, I'm focused on cold consequences. Gotcha. It takes a lot of time to market, you know, to be involved with that. So trying to market a book and write at the same time is is difficult. It definitely is. It definitely is. Well, David, as always, I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. I cannot wait to check out the new book, which, folks, you, uh, you can get by going to davidrolfing.com, R-O-H-L-F-I-N-G.com. You'll find all the information there to get your copy. Uh, get Delivered Duplicity if you haven't already got it. Also an awesome book. And, David, I expect we'll be talking pretty soon for uh, book number three. Max, I would look forward to that very much, and thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me. You're very welcome. This is Angelina Singer, author of the Upper World series, and you're listening to Citywide Blackout, the best podcast for independent artists. Picture this. You finished your first book and nailed it. The plot, the characters, all the twists and turns. This one's a winner, and all you need is the right cover. If you've got my art skills, this is the part where panic usually sets in. Enter the cover villain, hero to writers everywhere. Founded by noted author Remy Flagg, cover villain focuses on composite image covers for science fiction and fantasy writers. Give them the details, and they'll craft a cover using popular trends that everyone will want to see. But wait, you say, I've got ideas of my own. No problem, as cover villain loves a good collaboration. As they say, our goal is to put a little villain in every cover we make. Want to know more? then head to CoverVillain.com and follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Okay, everyone, that brings this episode to a close. Big thanks to David for joining me, and be sure to get the new book, Cold Consequences, now available in print or ebook format. You can follow the show on Facebook under Citywide Blackout or on Twitter and Instagram under Citywide Max. Listen to the show wherever you get your podcasts, and if you want to get at me, it's citywidemax at yahoo.com. As always, keep those ears open.